Once you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Octavia's Parables. Our podcast, where we're reading Octavia's Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents, chapter by chapter. Today, we are on Parable of the Talents, chapter 16. And I am your co host, Adrienne Marie Brown. I'm Toshi Regan. And it's hot outside, Toshi. (laughs) We are coming to you live from hot summers in different places. That's right. Um, As we're recording this, we are in Detroit and Durham. And we are loving life. I yeah. feel like now <laughs> it definitely feels different to be over the hump of this book and into into a different stage of adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, so even recording feels wildly different. For I'm like, hey, <laughs> not feeling total dread. Um, so, do you have any announcements this week? To you know, vegan? just look for music. That's that's. I don't have any more additional anything. Just you mm-hmm. know, look come for on music through. from Toshi. Yeah. So exciting. Yeah. Um, also, I got the rights yeah. to one of my records back. Now I'm really oh, excited about that. Yeah. So I'll be I, re-releasing it. Uh, I love this. I want yeah. you to re-release this. I feel like there's a wave happening. It might just be you and Kiesi Lehman, but I, it feels <laughs> like a wave of y'all like reclaiming the rights to earlier projects so that you can release them the way they should should be released now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to congratulate you, congratulate him. <laughs> you yeah. Know, good, good. And, you know, Maybe the generosity. Back in the day, it was really, really hard, but it's, it's some generosity happening in, you know, some of these companies where you know, the business has changed so much. It's very, very difficult to monetize, like recordings. Uh-huh. And, um, and it's very generous when companies say, you know what, let's just give it back to the artists and see see what they can do so i'm grateful that's great that's great um i'm really grateful that you have those back and Mm. my announcement um you know holding change is out in the world now and we're getting great responses and reviews from people who are reading it we've had a few people asking how to buy it in bulk so Mm. if you want to buy it in bulk you can actually directly contact ak press if you look on their website there's a place where there's a wholesale sales and that's actually the place to go. You can reach out to sales at akpress.org and you can arrange a bulk order there. Um, and we love to see it, <laughs> you know, yeah, great. Um, it's really wonderful to, to know that people are wanting to read it in groups. Um, and like, that's, that's how we always want people to learn. So that's, that's what's up with me. Beautiful. Um, and I guess maybe I can tell our listeners that I'm in this big moving process right now of, I've been in Detroit for almost 12 years and I am moving with my partner to Durham, North Carolina. Um, and it's a huge migration, reverse migration for me. My family is from the Carolinas. So uh, maybe wish me mm. luck, wish us luck, wish us luck and love. Um, Absolutely. There's no like, you never really let Detroit go. <laughs> so I'm just really, <laughs> No way. I've got like Detroit all baked up in my cells and, and D- Durham feels like a sister city to that. So absolutely. Um, yeah. But it's a big deal. So send us gentleness for this, mm. this, this summer. Yeah. Um, all right. So are we ready? Do you have yeah. some earthy to bring us into chapter 16? Yes. 
the destiny of Earthseed is to take root amongst the stars. And really, she says, among the stars. It is mm -hmm. to live and to thrive on new earth. It is to become new beings and to consider new questions. It is to leap into the heavens again and again. It is to explore the vastness of heaven. It is to explore the vastness of ourselves. Mm. I love that so much. Mm. And this chapter also could just be called like Christian America is horrible and <laughs> just can be called that. And it also could be called like after the storm, you know, like it just oh, is yeah. like what happens, you know, after these things, after these big, big, tragic, you know, um, big tragic happenings that are yeah. so deep, so, so deep. So we start off with Larkin and her reflections and she actually has her first clear memory and it's of a doll. And she thinks she was about three or four years old and she finds this doll and, and it's like a, you know, feels like it's kind of a Barbie doll. Yeah. And she finds it at the, the foot of a big pine tree and her backyard and she's just looking at it and a little frustrated by it. it does, the legs don't bend and this doesn't happen and the hair is messed up. And, you know, she kind of begins to pick at it. She chews on it. She's just examining like what this whole thing is. And then like Case, Casey, or how do you think you say this woman's name? I say Casey. Um, her mom. I've never, adopted yeah, mom. I've never seen that. Case, Casey. Casey. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> She just loses her mind and beats this, this poor, um, you know, beautiful gift of the universe mm. and beats her because when she takes the doll, you know, Larkin's like, that's my doll. Like, give it back. And, um, uh -huh. and so she just does, you know, she just hits her very, very hard. And this is really an opening into the viciousness of the um, Christian American children's homes and the, the lack of any relationship to love and care and consideration of children um, and their bodies and their, their beings and their spirits. And that, the, the, that too many of these people um, be, uh, were, had access to kids, were able to adopt kids or were able to be in charge of them in the homes. And they just did brutal, brutal things to them, including an example here is, is, um, of when a child was killed. Um, by a matron and and just the whole thing about the punishment like she killed a child and they basically were like you're fired <laughs> but nothing else happened to her oh, so um this is like Larkin just like giving you like you know just the you know, the kind of like hell her life was on earth and how unloved she was and how she was in a constant state of being you know threatened with violence and sexual assault and this is yeah. the beginning. This is the first time that she knew, oh, oh like I am, I'm in, I'm in danger. And she was three or four years old. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, she says, like, the purpose of Christian America was to make America the great Christian country that it was supposed to be, to prepare it for future strength, stability, and world leadership, and to pre prepare its people for the everlasting in heaven. Yet sometimes now when I think about Christian America and all that it did when it held power over so many lives, I don't think about order and stability or greatness or even uh, a place like uh, Camp Christian or Pelican Bay 
I think about the other extremes, the many small, sad, silly extremes that made up so much of Christian American life. I think about a little girl's doll and I trying to banish the shadows of panic that I still can't help feeling whenever I see one. And she's setting you up now for these, you know, I think for two things. One is just kind of like the look at at heaven and how you have Lauren saying, this is heaven. And you have Christian America saying, this is heaven and the, yep. and the, um, and the extremes. And then she's also like paralleling trauma. Like yeah. she's, she's letting you in on, um, you know, some of the significant wounds that she is carrying. And then you'll see later in this chapter, what Lauren is carrying around with her. Yeah. So we start from the journals of Lauren Oya Alamina, Wednesday, March 28th, 2035. And they have found Justin Gilchrist. Yeah. Um, he was found. Actually, they didn't find him. He found them. And um, it's like basically the best thing. They're just like, this is the best news that we've ever had since we like, you know, survived the horrible and horrendous slavery. Um, And she starts out by telling you how she has been surviving herself. So Lauren has got a little room up at the Georges. um, And she has been teaching, reading, writing. She's been drawing pictures of people, families and kids. And the really cool and dangerous thing about that is that people are really searching for, you know, how to have images of who they are. And then the other thing is that it's dangerous because you're not supposed to have pictures in Jared's America and Christian America and people, there's still like a lot of love for Jared. And so she's navigating, like not bringing attention to herself and also making her living so many skills. Yeah. And she's there for like little bits of money and not spending anything. So she's preparing for, you know, her next steps. Um, And she's just saying the dynamic of, of the way, you know, people are um, leaning towards somebody with a, a halfway decent message, but with like nothing to show for it. And so the desperation still, still the desperation, even that all this stuff has happened, a war has happened, like everything has happened and still people have a lot of faith. Some people have a lot of faith in this idea because the idea sounds, sounds cool, but you know, she she keeps pointing out, but y'all are in squatter camps and this person has not uplifted anybody. So um, but people are surviving. She is surviving. And, um, and, and there's just the way that she gives you several examples of just some people um, who are even in their desperate situations, still being kind and still just operating in a, a way of community. Um, and she's grateful for her skills. And then she says they didn't have to buy um, information because uh, Justin escaped. He escaped from his new family and came looking for them. He's 11 years old. He's old enough to decide for himself what's true and what isn't, and too old to be told that the woman he's called mother for eight of his 11 years was evil and worshiped the devil. So he escaped from these horrible people at 11 years old. And I'm just wondering what's happening with age over here, because she's like, he's old enough to know this and know that. And yeah, I mean, it's such an incredible, I just, 
I'm I have thoughts on this so much, but like, you know, my nibblings are right around this age. And I remember reading this before and it didn't strike me the same way it does now where I'm like, oh, I'm in direct intimate relationship with a bunch of 11 year old ish people. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I know what she means here because I'm like, you could not take my nibblings and be like, "Mm, no, your mom, not, you know, (laughs) like they're just like, no. Like, you're not taking anything from me, you know? I'm like, it doesn't work the same way it does maybe with with younger kids. But, uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. No, it's it's true. But just to imagine this. So she she's, she's, she's like, you know, doing her daily routine. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, the Georges and the, like, where the squatter camps are and stuff are not the same place. So when, when we say the Georges, it's like, think of the Georges are, like, uphill. And they yeah. have like their store and, they, you know, the places where yeah. people can eat and they have rooms that you can rent. And then a squatter camps, like think of it downhill and like, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. what it is. Right. So she's she's kind of like, OK, I finished my day and heading to her room. And then she sees like the boy and she's just like, that's another scrawny little kid. Like, so it's so common to see these children like that. Yeah. Yeah. So she's looking and then she she kind of like, let me, you know, keep moving because he looks pretty beat up and she doesn't feel like, you know, experiencing all of the pain. But she stops and says, are you all right, honey? And he jumped up at the sound of her voice and he's, he knew exactly who she was. And um, he was mm. he was beat up. He was his, his lips were cut and swollen and he had like an old slash on his cheek and a big black and blue swelling on the left side of his forehead. And mm. she froze, I guess her, the way that she is like dealing with that is she freezes um, so that she can just deal with the pain mm-hmm. that is going to come. And at first she was just like getting ready because to fight because kids will come at you. <laughs> and, but, you know, before long, she realized yeah. it, that it's Justin. And she's like the boy. <laughs> He touched her and it just basically big hug. And she was like, Justin, 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 alive, alive, alive. Y'all let's celebrate for Justin coming out of his situation and knowing where he belonged and, and somehow miraculously making it to the Georges. I don't know how he did, but there you go. And he finds out that his mom is there and she's taking him and, uh, to where her mom is, where his mom is. And, uh, and then Justin is just basically, he's, he, oh, there's a, you know, moment where he's like, where's the doctor? And yes. that's Ben Cole. And so he has, she has to explain um, what happened. Also, he calls her by her name that all the kids called her, which is Shaper. And um, she really is like, I haven't heard that in a long, 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 long time. Uh-huh. And also it just brings up all of these, these like feelings about earth seed and about everything. And so she is like, okay, you know, it, his presence is starting to wake up a universe that she had to really tuck, tuck, tuck deep inside of her. Um, so she kind of uh, catches him up on, you know, what happened. He also knew that um, uh, Acorn had been burned down. And so, uh-huh. you know, she told him about it and why they had to do it. And so that was very devastating. She also told him about Allie and what had happened. And he, unfortunately, is familiar with what these callers do. And so he was, she just was like her, you know, her memory is a little different. 
she might not remember everything, but she's healing. And, um, and then of course, Lauren is like, so what about what happened? (laughs) So she wants to know the whole story and, Uh you know, and how like everything happened. And so he explains like they went to this church and then they just started separating all of the kids. And so Mm -hmm. he said that the people who had him told him that his, his mother was a devil worshiper and a witch. And he was like, he had this um, older brother who was named Carl, who was horrific. And this is not his, his brother. This is the, the son of the people who adopted him. So he was pretty brutalized. Um, he lived a very, very hard life. These people are just torturous. And so he, um, he survived them and it made it easier to risk his life because to leave, because it was like, you know, what, what am I going to do? So she said, she got him up after she asked all of these questions. <laughs> Lauren is forever investigating and gathering information in any yep. situation. Like it just doesn't matter. She's like, okay, what can I learn from this? What can I get? So she took him to Allie and they watched, she watched them meet and saw Allie's joyous tears. It's like just such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful moment. And, um, and then it's Harry and Harry is just in a terrible state of depression, um, you know, and for obvious reasons. And so Harry has been uh, doing really well in terms of like, you know, surviving because he has a job because of his skills. He has a job on trucks. And so he ends up traveling all the time. He gets to go in all of these different towns and he's learning information and it's very helpful, but it has a limit. And at some point he's just like, I got to get out of this truck. Like I got to be able to walk around and ask questions and investigate. And he makes a choice to leave. And, and when he makes that choice to leave, uh, Lauren disagrees with him. She disagrees with his strategy. He wants to go south and she just is like, there's no way that's where people are going to be. You know, it just it just doesn't feel realistic. And he wants to go by himself. And uh, Lauren's like, even though I disagree with his strategy, he should not be by himself. And so she she tries to um, say that, like, you know, let me come with you. And he's like, nope, you need to stay here because we need to, to divide and kind of like conquer this mystery and find our people. And the more of us mm-hmm. doing it, the better. And, um, and she, it's, it's just very hard. She's doing the best that she can to like put out the world word and even giving money to people like Cougar and the slavers, because just anything goes to try to find their kids. And especially to try to find Lauren. I don't know. It's just terrible. It's like, so <laughs> they're both. Yeah. It's just, you know, we're really glad that they're not enslaved at Acorn anymore. We're really glad that they, they conquered yeah. this army, but it is like after the storm, everything is there, you know, everything yes. that you always wanted to get a hold of is still something you want to get a hold of. Um, yes. Everybody yeah, you know, everybody is trying to, to do so many things simultaneously. They, they're completely traumatized. They're on the move. They have to feed themselves. They have to do all of these things. And this, this chapter is just a great example um, of like the, the hardships and the challenges and the world that is evolving out of, you know, this Jared administration and all of the releasing of violence, permission of violence. 
that is being given to everybody. Um, so she also is just finding out that like, there isn't a lot that you can do to find children that like, there's no, no legal thing you can do. There's just all of these different roads that you might want to take or somehow, you know, really nipped, you know, Uh, I feel like that actually was happening here too with the, the children at the border that it just like, they're like, well, you know, they may never find their kids. And I'm like, how could they never find their kids? Like y'all took these kids, like, you know, who these kids are and where you sent them, like, you know, why can't you find them? So yeah. that this is a, a future world that, you know, Octavia imagined would be very, very possible, the same as it was during the time of slavery. So you just lost people all the time. So this is leading to kind of the breakup of this newly formed nucleus of Harry, Allie, and Lauren, and the Neuer daughter. They are all, you know, around the Georges and now Justin. And the it's kind of like the decisions of that group have been made. So Allie is going to stay at the Georges because Allie is really, really great at like kind of doing some cleaning and some this and that. And um, Dolores really likes her. So she gets she gets room. She's not getting any money, but she can stay there and she's helpful. And then Justin can stay with her. And um, and then Harry is like, I'm going to go find my kids and this is the way I want to go. And he hands Lauren a phone. And um, so they both have these cheap, you know, debit phones. And, um, and then Lauren makes her decision that she will also uh, eventually leave. And then I I just am like, at the end of this chapter, I'm just calling Lauren really judgy, because, you know, (laughs) she basically is really annoyed with Nina Neuer. And she's like, Nina Neuer is like, I'm done. I miss everybody. I love my siblings. Too much has happened. And she's like, I'm not Dan. Like, I'm not, I'm, I need to pause and have some stability in my life. And she falls in love with one of the George's um, sons and is going to stay and get married and, you know, have some kids. And then she's like to, to Lauren, she's like, maybe it means I'm weak, but I can't help it. I can't do what he did. I can't. It's not fair to expect me to. He was a boy, almost a man. I just want to get married and be happy. And Lauren's like, she's 16. Her brother was only 15 when he rescued her and brought her to us. But as she says, she is, she's not him. <laughs> and that's how this chapter ends. This is like, and let me tell y'all, I left a lot out. Like this could, I could, this is a really dense chapter. Um, and Lauren's going by the name Corey. Um, she's going by Corey's yeah, maiden name so that people don't know who she is. I should mention that, but there's a lot that happens and a lot of description of all of the points that I hit on. So there you go. There Mm. it is. 16. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really think of this, this chapter, this phase of the book is like the Rubik's cube phase you know it's like Mm -hmm. everything was completely mashed up and now it's like how are things going to line up and again um so thank you for that summary yeah yeah um so the questions for this one you know and i think as the book continues we we, the questions start to be more split between what's happening with larkin and what's happening with lauren Mm -hmm. uh, because we're learning more and more about larkin's life so the first set of questions i have um, 
you know, are really about what's happening with Larkin in this chapter. And there's some, you know, simple question. What is the first toy or game that you remember? Mm-hmm. The first toy or game that you remember, especially being like yours, like having a sense of like, this is my toy, like, or, you know, I found it or I was given it or whatever, <laughs> right? Um, because it's remarkable that that's what she's remembering for us. It's like, this is the first thing, like it was outside of what I was experiencing. And this is the first thing that I kind of claimed and immediately was taken, which leads to that second tender question, which is what is your first memory of loss? Mm -hmm. Right. What is your first memory of loss? It might be something small, like a belonging, like, you know, something, it might be something bigger than that and just be tender with yourself with, with what comes up there. But there's something about, intentionally trying to remember parts of your life that I feel like Larkin and, you know, through Octavia, through Larkin is, is talking to us about here. It's like each of us, so much is happening in our stories and we're responsible for being the ones who can remember. And those traumas stick with us. Like what happened with her and the doll sticks with her so much so that it's like, that has to come into the memoir that she's writing here. That has to come into the kind of like long list of things that she holds against those who raised her. Yes. You know? The next question, what is your concept of heaven if you have one? What is your concept of heaven if you have one? And I love the juxtaposition, though, and I love the way you lifted it up that way. It's like Christian America has this concept of heaven. Lauren has this concept of, of heaven, of what is beyond, you know, our, what is our destiny. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think of you have a song about heaven. Tracy Chapman has this song about heaven. There's just different ideas around like heaven being here on earth, heaven being where we are, heaven being what we practice with each other versus heaven being this um, place that we have to behave a certain way to attain access to. Um, And on the concept of justice, I always think this is like one of the turnkeys here is if you believe that heaven is some future place that must be attained through certain behavior, how does that, how does that interact with what you believe you're responsible for doing on earth and Mm -hmm. how you're responsible for being on earth? Um, And if you think that heaven is something you can, how, you know, act any kind of way and then ask for forgiveness and get into it, (laughs) you know, right? I think it shapes what you do differently than if you're like, I'm responsible for co-creating something heavenly in the relationships that I'm in. Ritual in my spiritual 
You know, I do believe we're we have we have arrived. You know, yeah. like I am like we have arrived. I do believe that our our spirits are in continuation. But in terms of like the way that like people talk about heaven, because like especially when musicians die, everybody's like, I know they're up there jamming, like you know, <laughs> Jimi <laughs> Hendrix and Louis Armstrong. Whitney Houston singing for them. Yeah, everybody's like up there singing and doing their thing, and I'm always like. No, they was here doing their thing, and you—if yeah. <laughs> you didn't see it, you missed it. You yes. know? So, <laughs> um, there's that so much. Is yeah, like we're—you know—I do think that that all of the kind of, you know, sensory um, devices, physical devices we have been given is to experience our the heaven on earth and the heaven amongst ourselves in the widest possible way, and I think that you know, because it is delicious and powerful that too many of us have turned to experiencing it in in a different way. And I think that's the challenge. That's the other thing. I think the imagination of heaven is almost like you don't have to do anything. You just get there and just be and, you, you know, have all of the things that are pleasurable to you and your best talents, only your best talents exist or something. And yeah. <laughs> I think it's a little bit more effort, right? Like yeah. <laughs> it takes a lot of it takes a lot of of, of generosity and, and effort into seeing beyond yourself and seeing beyond, to, you know, like really see the, the the width of possibilities of existing here. And and um, mm-hmm. so I think we're just in a great, you know, transformational state, and that time is probably in some way, you know, limitless. To our possibilities but so mm-hmm. far I'm not sure as a as a whole species that we really understand what we we get to live how we get to live on this incredible planet yeah I mean it's so interesting it's one of the few places where I feel like the bible was really on to something you know is this idea of <laughs> Eden that like this place this place this earth place is designed uniquely and miraculously in a way that includes us, um, not designed for us, but in a way that like, this is what works for us. You know, this is where, where our species is meant to exist. And, and then it's all about learning to partner with it, learning to partner with each other and it. And I find the most ecstatic heavenly moments of belonging happen (laughs) when I land in and root into, oh, you know, I'm tethered to this place. I belong to this place in spite of all efforts to remove that tether, to cut me from my lineage and my connection to earth. It's mm. like the lineage still goes all the way back to earth. I just keep, ha- you know, like when I sit in that, then I'm like, I'm already here. And all of this is the experience of here. And I want to keep choosing towards that connectivity. Yeah. For me, it's that connectivity, that belonging that is heaven. 
you know? Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I think people should reflect on this one together. Um, and as much as you can, you know, decolonize the conversation in your mind, you know, like really take out the parts that might've been shaped or sold to you. Um, mm-hmm. and see what, what it is in your heart. What are you longing for? What would feel like that deepest rest? Yeah. Yeah. Good. So the next question I have is around what happens with Justin. And um, I think the question here, you know, there's so much backstory to something like an 11 year old recognizing, like having enough fortitude and enough sense of morality and value and like who I am to stand in the face of that abuse and say, no, I'm leaving here. This is not how you're going to talk about where I come from and who I come from. I'm going to go. And so the question I have here is how do we prepare our children to stay safe? Mm. How do we make sure our children really know who they are and how do we prepare our children to seek us out? Right. To, Mm -hmm. to know what to look for, to know who to move towards, um, and in a way, I, I think about this, especially coming out of this pandemic where everyone has been kind of with their kids in their own home, forming this very like deep bond with their own. But we have to be forming relationships with our children that happen in community where there's where our children have a lot of people in community that they know to be safe space that they know, oh, I can move towards that person. So the relationship, you know, the years of relationship that that Justin had with the shaper with Lauren meant that even though his mother wasn't in that space when he saw the shaper he knew that relationship well enough to reach through his trauma recognize and move towards it and that really makes me think even especially maybe if you're someone who doesn't have children in community or if you're someone who you know you have one child are you someone who's in community such that children would recognize you Mm-hmm. Right. And children would know that they could move towards you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I love the, the term shaper. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I'm, I, my sweetie has been talking about like being gender liberated human being who's going to be teaching a bunch of kids <laughs> and like, <laughs> what do I want the kids to call me? Right. And I was like, Ooh, shaper, <laughs> shaper could be good. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But what do you want? You know, the question, what is the name that you would want children to call you? Right. What is the what is the term for the role that you have in community? Like for you, Toshi, I'm like, are you the bard? Like what is your what is the role that children would call you? <laughs> besides the one that calls you mama. Um Yeah, they call me Toshi because Toshi just shows up as a really has always shown up for a really interesting name, yeah. you know? And so they're like Toshi. And then also because, you know, when I was um little my my toshi means the dawning of a brand new era but my but because i when i was little i wouldn't have understood what that meant so they said it means the Mm -hmm. beginning of a brand new day and so when i so it just is it it just has a lot of spark to it and then they call me whatever the adults around them say give them permission to call me that's right and so i have you know i'm i'm like called tt i'm called uncle i'm called you know uh, a bunch yeah. of a bunch of different you know i come called ma by some some like especially yeah. like teenagers i'm called pops <laughs> like, yeah. you know i'm fluid with the gender identities for myself so uh, all of those work is just always the intentionality 
um, yeah. behind it. I like kids to be really comfortable with me. And I, you know, and I feel like they see more than the, the name that they see my spirit and connect yes. with that. So I'm very acceptable of multiple kinds of names. I love that. Yeah. I mean, like my favorite thing that children have come up with for me is mommy, daddy, <laughs> which I got. <laughs> my nibblings went through a phase of calling me mommy, daddy. Um, Cause they were just like, you kind of do all the things that all these people do. Um, I was like, yep, that's what an auntie is. <laughs> but yeah. yes. Um, that, and I love being, I love being called auntie and I love being called Adrian. Like I love yeah. that all, you know, all the things are available now. You know, this question comes up, the next question comes up because we're we're looking at Harry and the depression that Harry's in. And one of the things I think continues to come up in this book in a way that feels really important and, and really um, helpful for dealing with right now is that people are all depressed and it's showing up in different ways and to different levels of extremity. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's like Harry is so depressed and he's truck driving and he's moving along. And finally he's like, I'm not going to do, I got to go find my kids. Like I can't Yeah. moving through life as if that massive gaping wound is not there. I can't do that. And the question I have is that's how Harry chooses to move forward. Lauren is making a different choice. You know, Nina is making a different choice. Like everyone's making these different choices. How do you move forward when everyone is depressed mm. and it's showing up in different ways? It's not like there's a right or a wrong or a true or a false yes. to it. It's like every single person here has um, a really informed, intelligent reason to feel depressed and um, and depression in that sense of like, I don't feel functional. I don't feel like it's worth it. I don't feel like getting out of bed. And I don't feel like sitting in long processes to make wise decisions. Like, it's mm-hmm. just like this is where I'm just going to order the pizza and the ice cream and sit here and just fuck it, you know? Yes. Um, or I'm just going to like be like, maybe this will feel better. I'm going for it, you know? Yes. Um, and like, how do you, how do you move forward when everyone's in a variety of that place? Um, and I ask it very presently because I think right now, <laughs> so many of the people that I know and love, we're all in that place. You know, I feel like I'm in and out of that place. And I, I'm like, what we're dealing with is so many different levels of pain, trauma, and grief, but it's all legitimate, you know? And I, uh, my therapist always says, you don't compare people suffering, right? She's got that like Buddhist thing, right? You don't compare, it's all suffering. It's all suffering. Yes. And so how do we find that line that we can pull ourselves forward on when we're all suffering? And it's like no one can be the voice of hope or reason or there's no false, there's no exit. <laughs> you know, yeah. There's no way out. Um, That's such a powerful question. Um, I don't know if this came up for me while I was listening to you. Is the mythology of care of children that America like lives on and I and I think like it's it's somehow used to kind of like distort this idea that you know we don't all have access to pain in the same way you know that we don't all have access to like you know suffering that we you know there's so many systems in the, the, the the country where it's like when it's convenient it's like and think about the children like like so you're suffering and you're, you're in a bad shape. And then it's like, there's this way that like, well, raising, raising some kind of care or concern about children 
would yep. alleviate, you know, and make space for you to put down your burden so that you can turn your attention towards, you know, people who are, are considered more vulnerable. And I think with, yeah. with this book, like Octavia, like obliterated that, like there is yes. no care for children or babies or there's no extra anything. There's no, there's no systemic. And, and you realize like we've been existing in that world already, you know, yeah. like there, we don't actually have systemic care for, for children. Cause we don't have systemic care for like anything unless we have created it ourselves in our communities and have insisted on it with our resources as a starting point, at least in the United States of America, that does not exist. That's right. You know, so it's like we have to do the work and we have to do the abundance of the work. And and then when you connect that to people who are looking at a very oppressive and violent regime of government and saying, you know what, maybe there's some hope, like you can forget about it. There's no hope. (laughs) And that's the place, not with those people, like turn to yourself and turn to your people. That's where the hope is. So it's just so interesting. Like that's such a great question because it puts us all in a togetherness Mm -hmm. that, you know, maybe nobody wants, but that, that acknowledgement and acceptance and understanding of that togetherness could be the window to our, you know, salvation or our like, you know, Mm. big, brave step forward into the something else that we all need. Like, I don't know what to call it, but it could be that step of really acceptance of that. Yeah. I love, I love it. I love that. And I, um, you know, it's one of the things I think about when I think like, what is science fiction often trying to get to the best Mm -hmm. stuff trying to get to is trying to be like, you can back into it. You can stumble into it. You can resist it. You can fight it, whatever, but there's a pattern. There's a pattern and that pattern reverberates with love and care. And then, you know, when there's damage to the pattern, <laughs> yeah. you know, we, we feel that in different ways and children feel it the most. Um, but I really love that this, yeah, I love the, I love the train you're on, <laughs> of course. And that's why I'm on it with you. Um, and then I think it brings to mind for me, this, this piece around Nina, right? So the, the, ah. Oh, I cannot tell you how deeply moving it is to me to have a character like Nina who's just like, listen, okay, I recognize (laughs) that like other people are heroic and other people, my brother went and tried to rescue and he rescued me and he did what he could. And I'm not that person. And here's my litany of reasons for it. But like, I just want to be happy and I want some love in my life. I want some stability in my life, you know, like that's what I, I can't do the rest. And I feel that this is so familiar to me. Like, I feel like when we look at the world, really, you know, what we're looking at is not traumatized and untraumatized people. We're looking at people who are like, you know, we, we all live in these traumatic conditions. Any of us could focus on some piece of work to attend to. But there are some people who are like, I'm just going to be, ha- I just want to be happy. I'm not trying to keep processing this right now. Like I'm just going to try to just get to good mm-hmm. and that'll be enough. And then there's others who are like, I'm going to keep working it. Either I'm going to work through social justice or I'm going to work on my, my own health and my own healing, or, you know, I'm going to work to 
guide or lead others or something, right? Or there's the rescuers, you know, there's the actual people who are like, I'm a fighter fighter, <laughs> you know, like I yep. am the person who's showing up in the ambulance or the the, the savior rescue types amongst us, mm-hmm. right? And we all know who they are. And some of us might be card carrying members of the savior complex um, club, right? Of those who are like, if there's a rescue, you can call me. And that wide range, I'm like, to me, it helps to recognize that it's not one that's like the traumatized or untraumatized. It's just like how people are responding to the trauma and what they have capacity to continue doing. And so the question I have for our readers on this is, what if you aren't built to continue fighting? What if you aren't built to keep trying to save others? How do you live with your decision to Mm -hmm. choose happiness and to be inside of your life, to be inside of your stability? And how do you understand your value in relationship to community, right? In relationship to to those who are not going to be rescued, Mm -hmm. right? And... I think this plays out at a very interpersonal, intimate level. You know, I've definitely been in deep relationships with people. Where I was like, you've got to stop the rescue mm-hmm. behavior. I've definitely been the person who was told you have to stop trying to rescue mm-hmm. everybody. Um, I have also been rescued and I have also successfully intervened on yeah. situations where other people need a rescue. And There's no right answer on this one also, right? Right. That there's like, this is the resource that keeps flowing around and around. And we hope that when we most need it, someone will show up for us. And we have to acknowledge that sometimes people, no one will show up or we can't be the one to show up. And that's the life path. And that's what is. Mm -hmm. And we have to be with that. So asking that question to our listeners, and in some way, I'd love for you to self-assess where you fall in this spectrum of that's not me. I'm, I'm really going to choose my happiness or I'm going to, I'm going to drop everything and go find these people somewhere in between. Right. Um, couldn't be happy if I stayed here, you know? Right. Like I, I would hope that that would be me that I'd be like, I couldn't do it. I couldn't know that my siblings were out there and not go find them. I would hope that that would be me. Um, But then you go, you live through things and you're like, life shapes you beyond what you can handle. Life, life shapes you, you know? So that's a big set of questions to sit with. And then the final one is just, you know, now we have Lauren Olamina with her third name of Corey Duran. Corey, we know this name, right? So it's really beautiful that she kind of lifts up that spirit in this way. And, mm-hmm. uh, but what is your alter ego name, right? If you're going undercover, you've got to start moving around. Don't tell us. Don't yes, right. It. Don't text it, right? This is your alter ego name, but you should know what it is. <laughs> yes. If you quickly have to make this adaptation, you quickly have to make this shift. What is a name that is familiar enough to your heart that you can turn to it and work with it? Um, so find your name and that it's is so show. deep. Yeah. It's so deep. I just, <laughs> I just got a book coming in because, you know, everybody, yep. I mean, people are so named now, like everyone's so, uh, named. Just so named and their secret names. names and then their other name that they put, you know, their Instagram name and then their, their Instagram name. 
Oh, yeah. Different names. They're all out there. I just learned what Finsta actually was because I was just like, tell me your Finsta. And I'm like, oh, it's supposed to be incognito. Like, okay, got it. Yeah, you have to be asking for that. I thought I had started a Finsta, but they were like, no, you just started a private. Yeah. <laughs> That's different. <laughs> now I'm like, I need to elevate and get to Finsta. You need to get but, to all of the things. But we all out there, we like all little pieces of data. But yeah, we have so many names. <laughs> yeah. We have so many names. And, you know, I think there it's interesting to me, like, we reveal so much, so much, so much. And so much of this book is about, like, how do we hide? Like, yeah. how do we have a massive impact on the world while needing to hide? So it's much more the Harriet Tubman path than, like, the path that many of us are on right now. And But it behooves us to really consider, like, how do we get on that path? <laughs> yeah, how could you do if it? If we needed to pivot. So, mm. okay. That is our show. Chapter 16. Um, Octavius Parables is hosted by Toshi Regan and myself, Adrian Marie Brown. It's produced by Kat Aaron, and our gorgeous show art is by Krista Franklin. And music for Octavia Parables is Always See the Stars, written and performed by Toshi Regan. God has Changed, written by Toshi Regan and performed by Toshi Regan and Bernice Johnson Regan. And This Could Be Heaven, written and performed by Toshi Regan. Beautiful. And you can find us on Twitter at Oparables. Sustain our show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Oparables. And you can visit readingoctavia.com, our gorgeous website, where you can find transcripts, past episodes, and all that jazz. And we will see you next week. Yes, yes. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you.